From New Dog Media and Phoenix Fifth, it's the Settle Smarter Podcast. Remember, we're talking about organizational culture and organizations come together to achieve something. Even if we can't cognitively bring words to it, we know it. And I'm fascinated by humans' ability to like move through different cultures and tweak the rules. If you ever feel like a hamster inside of a wheel running a sprint inside of a marathon while balancing on top of a teeter-totter, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Settle Smarter with me, Dana Look Arimoto. Hey, smart settlers. Producer Paul here. Today, Dana's guest is Craig Foreman, senior people scientist at Culture Amp. His job is creating a better workplace at a company whose mission is to create better workplaces for other companies. So let's give a subtle smarter welcome to Craig Foreman, Meta Culture Scientist. Craig, culture activist, community builder, helping the future of work get here faster. Mm. And Craig and Culture Amp are ahead of their time. And here we are all working on top of each other from home. What do you have to say about that, Craig? Uh, my mind is blown by, it was like there was this giant roulette wheel spinning and then it stopped and wherever you were is where you are. So I want to be careful too, that I know that my work experience is different than others. I think, I think back to my life where this could have landed and how it could have been. I will say that I am feeling a lot of gratitude that my roulette ball landed with me, with my family who I care a lot about. This has been a real treat to just slow down and spend time with them, be with them. We're doing things we haven't done before. We stayed up late the other night and like a dance party. Like what? You know? So my family's healthy. We're doing well. That's what's going on here. And I, but I also, I have a lot of conversations with people that are alone or in situations that aren't quite as optimal. And I just, I I hold space for that as well. Um, And just a ton of gratitude that I'm where I am at the moment. This is so beautiful. And the recurring theme of the last few weeks of interviews have all been around gratitude and people really finding what there is to be grateful for instead of focusing all the time on what we don't have. And so you mentioned something I haven't heard before, and I want to spin that wheel. Craig, talk to us about intersectionality and where people are right now, how that applies. Yeah, I think, well, first, I think there's a little bit from what I understand the history of intersectionality. I think, you know, originally this term was used a lot in you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion and around the idea of, are we hiring men versus women, people of color? And we use one factor and we miss the fact that there's multiple factors that you could be a woman who's a person of color, who's LGBTQ. Each of those has their own unique things that come with it. And collectively together, you know, that if we can see the world through more of an inter- intersectionality lens and realize that none of us are one one thing, black or white. Many of us have different experiences. I'll tell you, I, you know, being at Culture Amp and around this world, you know, and processing this, I can tell you how, how it played into my life. And it was really around, I was being asked to go out and run sessions on Culture Amp's behalf. Uh, the, we do these, these events out and out in the community and we were doing fishbowls, which are very very personal. It, it, it's, it's a style of facilitation. You get people together, you have a conversation, there's an inner circle and an outer circle. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail unless you want to, but my point is that here I was doing this work with enough awareness to know that I'm I'm standing there as a straight white guy and, and even the straight part is pretty, you talked to me for two minutes, you're going to figure that out. So talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I was aware of it. So I started calling it in and I started saying, look, you know, I'm hosting, I'm facilitating this. I realize I just want to call in what is obvious, what I know. I know that comes with privilege. Some I'm aware of, some I'm not aware of. 
Um, but then I said, here's what you don't know about me. You don't know that uh, I was recently diagnosed with ADHD. You don't know that I lost a brother to drug addiction. You don't know that I you know, grew up and I, I didn't have a lot of money and I went to you know, the military to pay for college. You don't know that. You know, and just shared more about myself as an example of, yes, I have these privileges. I have things that I may not be aware of. And I hope in this conversation, if they come up, I'm, I'm open to that and hold space for the fact that I have some other things here that you also might not be aware of. You know, I, I work and live in San Francisco and I think at least my story is a lot of people, there's a lot of entitlement and people have got to get great educations and these wonderful families and came to San Francisco and got their first job. And here I am white guy doing the same thing. And people might go, well, he's one of those too. But I'm really not. And again, this is not about, um, you know, for me in any way, it's just opening the perspective, remembering whoever we talk to, that we do, we, we do have these groupings and we have to honor those. And every, at an end of one, every individual has these layers and stories. And just to hold on to that, that um, those may be true for that person as well. And I think moving from that place has been really powerful. And it also gave me the ability to, to own, to speak to the, the privilege, but also share more about myself. And then we went into an exercise where I said, what about you? What does the person next to you not know? So before we get started, turn to your neighbor and share something they might not know about you. So I also used it as a way to help other people connect with each other and say, what's that thing about you that somebody might not see when they first meet you? So this is so cool. When we were getting to know each other a few weeks ago, we were talking about this very concept. And there is this philosophy that I have that you resonated with, and this might help our listeners, that one size really never fits all. One size actually fits one. And to truly authentically be yourself is the culture mission that we're being called to answer, especially during this time. So as an activist of culture, and also really thinking about the science of people, we think about data science a lot in today's world. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about people science and being a cultural activist. How does that work together? Yeah, well, people science is my title. Uh, at Culture Amp, I'm a, a lead people scientist. Um, I always thought that was interesting. I mean, again, titles are titles. You know, I was given that title. I will tell you that um, at first, I was a little insecure about it because I never identified as a scientist. It's not how I see myself. I don't. I didn't get a science-based degree. My background is uh, undergrad in business and my master's in organizational psychology. Um, I did a practical program. So my teachers were professional working teachers. I went in the evening. Um, and again, I say that because some of my colleagues all have the more traditional uh, research base. So like, well, they're scientists, I'm not. So, um, but I was, I, I sat with that and that's okay. I just want to call that out that, you know, these titles put like, images in people's minds. Um, but I also am really, I do embrace that title as well. Um, what do I think about when I think about that? Look, Culture Amp, uh, our what, and I talk about our what and our why, because I think we, we were very solid in both, but our what is a series of tools that are te uh, SaaS-based technology tools that help organizations uh, listen and run surveys or um, gather insights from their from their um, organization and then put those, summarize those, make it very easy to understand and then focus on where to take action. So when I think of my term, my role as a people scientist, it's really the work I did with our tools, really understanding how to leverage this data, how to look at it, um, to use data to tell great stories, to help you know organizations back, especially in the, in the people side of things, back these, these feelings, these anecdotes, these stories that they've sensed for a long time with data to either validate or disprove. Sometimes we, we, you know, there's bias there. We think one thing's going on. This is how it's been. I've got five people tell me this thing. 
Uh, and we read some data and you realize, well, five people did, but the truth is it's really only about 5% of your total organization. So, you know, helping decide using data to validate or to, to myth debunk stories that we had inside of our organizations. Um, and I think that's where the, the bringing the science to the, to the human side of it. And that's where I, people science, I guess, when you put those two together does fit in that sense, especially when I was doing a lot of work with our data and our tools uh, and our organizations. So for people that are listening, thinking about culture, because we've used that word about 15 times in the past 10 minutes. So people that are thinking about culture and are either inside a culture that is morphing into what has to take place to sustain a company's culture, even in this tough, uncertain time, what would you tell them in the myth busting and the data that you do see through the incredible vantage point you have to look at different companies and organizations in their culture. What would you tell them? What do they need to hang on to in terms of culture? Yeah, well, I'll go back. There's, there's, it's how I define culture, I think, is the root of it all. And I have two definitions that I, that I hinge on. One is the general definition, which is helps guide me at least. And remember, these are constructs. There is no definition. I'm not going to claim that I have the definition. We'll be debating what culture is as long as I imagine I'm alive. But I do use um, some of these to help guide me. The, the high level, this is culture in general, is the way we do things around here. It's simple. I like it. And I say that in general because we often say culture and we think of organizational culture. Culture exists everywhere. Um, and culture is not positive or negative. Uh, there's culture in prison. Uh, there's culture, you know, your culture at our families. I was in the military. There's a very clear culture in the military. So it's really the, 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 the set of either spoken or unspoken guidelines that we, that we use to, to interact with one another. And what's really interesting when you think about it that way, we float in and out of different groups all day long, you know, show up, you know, home with your family in the morning on, you know, our commute with others, then we get to work. How do we, get, and even if we can't cognitively bring words to it, we know it. And I'm fascinated by humans ability to like move through different cultures and tweak the rules as we go. Okay. So that's, that's high level. That's culture in general, but you know, I, we, we speak a lot to organizations. So the second piece is really, I think what Didier uh, Elzinga, our CEO says about it, which I, you know, remember we're talking about organizational culture and organizations come together to achieve something, right? We're not there just, this isn't our families. This, I mean, I hope we build familiar type connections, but it, this is not our family. There's a reason we come together in our organizations. So what he says is brand is our promise to our level. Brand is our promise to our customers. So that's that thing that we're coming together to do. And culture is the way we, we deliver. Our values are the way we're going to deliver on that. So it's it's the set of behaviors. So to answer your question, I'm going to go more organizationally. Yeah, we're hitting trying times. You know, your values, and which is to me the underpinnings of your culture, like those really, those, those, those key things that if things get rough, we can look back and say, how are we showing up against this? You know, character, character shows up in tough times, not, not the great times. So here we are. You have your values, you have your culture. Um, hopefully you've been intentional about your organization and this is going to try your culture, but can you look at those values and say, we're still living them? And yes, we've now, we're all working remotely, but how are we showing up? Are we still living into our values? Or were those just good when times were good? I mean, ultimately that these are what, is, when we get tried is when we see, you know, our real character come out, which I think is really speaks to kind of what our culture and our values, both individually and organizationally. Um, you know, I know that we just recently launched a new survey specifically designed um, for these times. Both it's, by the way, it's public. And if you're a client, it's available to you in the platform. If not, it, uh, our blog, um, it's available to you there as well. Listen, are you listening? Are you asking, you know, what is going on that your, your people have gone? 
I think in the end of the day, it goes back to that, being really clear on your values and listening to your people and really listening, listening and going back and say, we heard you, here's what we heard. Here's what we're, here's what our, ne- our next move. I think that that cycle is sped up. I think it's probably weekly or biweekly at the moment because everybody's in different places, just keeping a, keeping a pulse on it. And the other piece I'd say is, um, yeah, you know, the act of listening. Some I've I've often realized in my work working with organizations that they get very focused on the the survey itself. It's not the, the survey is a component of listening. It's the listening cycle. It's the collecting good information, understanding what you're hearing, and taking action, and communicating that out. Do that. Even if you don't get every action right, the message you're sending to your organization through that process is powerful. What people want right now is to feel seen, to feel heard. Um, it, you know, especially in times of anxiety, that's what we want. We want to be known. We want to be seen and we feel safe. So we talk a lot about first seeking to be understood before seeking to understand. And in fact, that is incredibly backward. So for all the leaders out there listening to today's podcast, I want you to reverse that equation. You actually need to understand others before you're ever earning the right to be understood. Craig, what would you say to that? Is that fact or fiction? hundred percent. I mean, what comes up for me, like for, I'd say that to individuals, you know, seek first to understand, right? Because I mean, Stay curious. I've always said that. But what's different in organizations is it's a leader in organization. So when an individual wants to be understood before, like especially when you're dealing with one to many, you got to flip the equation. I mean, you're just one individual. Everybody's got their own story, unique thing. When when you, especially if you're running an organization, using tools to collectively listen to your your people, like what whatever you believe is at some level biased because you're just an N of one and. To aggregate information from a large set of people, look at that, then form your opinions. Mm-hmm. Critical, critical. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, it just, yeah, you, your intuition once in a while might be right, but I think number one, your organization is going to smell the fact that you're coming from your perspective versus hearing with the organization. So even if it's great stuff, there's going to be a sense of, I can't trust this completely because it's not about me. Um, and ultimately it's, it's, it's a bad recipe. Please take the moment to like, Write, write your thoughts down, put them somewhere. That's fine. Have them. But outwardly show that you want to hear and you're curious before you form your opinions. Um, as much as you think you're the smartest person in the room, uh, our collective wisdom is way, is way higher than any one individual. So that's, that's where I stand on that. And this is why Craig's an activist. So let's actually move into a little bit of the speed round of my podcast, which is fact versus fiction. I just gave you a little precursor. I've got a couple of questions set up. I also want to react to some things that you said because you gave a lot of myth busting and a lot of prescription in terms of how people might affect the culture of their company. So I'm going to start with this question. It sounds like an easy cur- an easy one, not a curveball, but let me just ask it anyway. So fact or fiction, companies set the culture, companies and executives set the culture, and it's the employee's job to get in alignment with that culture. Fact or fiction? Mm. Oh, that's a hard one. Good. <laughs> companies set, okay. Uh, I would call that if I have to if I have to go somewhere I'd say fiction, but there's some fact in it. I agree with you. So the fiction piece is that you also affect the culture. So all of you that consider yourself an employee, which is a debatable term these days, we have gig workers and freelancers and contractors and independents. Let's just say you work on behalf of somebody doing something. You do affect the culture. Whether the company and the executives agree with that or not, 
You do. You affect the culture. And if the company and the executives work really hard to set a culture that is inclusive, they have done half the job. Everybody working together, hand in hand, or in this case, Zoom by Zoom, I guess, as it were, you all affect the culture. So let's do the next one. So culture first means putting yourself last and others first. Fact or fiction? Fiction. I agree. All right, let's do a few more. In order to be living with intersectionality, we must rid ourselves completely of all bias. Fiction, impossible. Tell us a little more on that. Um, okay, so this will go more to, I don't know if it's science, but my, my background, my education, and, and you know what I've learned along the way. Look, we use this word bias. Again, it's like culture. Like we make it good or bad. It's not. It just is. Our brains are designed to be biased. Um, you know, if you get away from that term, look, our brains are limited. We're scanning the environment at all times looking for, we're trying to create black and white. Am I safe or not? I'm looking around, I'm looking around. Your bias or whatever that thing is serves you. I mean, we want most of human history if someone came around that didn't look like you, didn't speak like you, like your, your radar should have gone up. Like in, in a smaller time, like it was designed to protect you and say, danger, keep an eye out. What's going on here? This isn't familiar. That's fine. Like we need to come to terms with the fact that our brains are biased. You're not bad because you're biased. You're ba- the challenge is that accepting that and realizing the world has changed so much that these, these, these things that have been set up in our brains aren't serving the way they used to. And do you have a moment where you can pause and go, that's probably bias. I'm okay with it. I'm not going to judge myself, but I need to like step back. That's not probably helping the situation. I need to look at it differently, or I'm able to witness how bias can play into the hiring process. So let's talk a little more about it because I accept humans are biased and we need to create good systems around it. So I just want us to give ourselves a little more space to appreciate that this idea of bias, although it, it plays out and it has some negative consequences, bias itself is very natural to the brain. We just need to keep aware of how it's showing up and is it serving and is it, or is it harming others for no reason other than it just feels right for us. That's so helpful, Craig. I'm really glad that you shared that. People do really have bias. And I've talked to my listeners quite a bit about this topic. And I work with someone that created another movement called Consciously Unbiased, because we have to become conscious of our bias before we can even become unbiased. So there's the flow of that. Yeah. Can, so, you check, can you check your bias as it's happening? Say, okay, that, that seems about right. I'm, I'm, I'm with that. that. That seems right. No, that, that does not seem right. I'll own it, but it's not right. And I'm not going to act on that. And I would just love to say that you've done that through this interview. You've actually kind of checked yourself, even on things that to me felt like you didn't need to, you did it anyway, talking about where you came from and your origin and sort of your history and the fact that, you know, you might have some privilege, but you also have some really hard things that you've gone through as a human being. And we all have. Mm -hmm. And so we like to keep it real on this podcast and talk about, you know, who we really are. So Mm -hmm. that what and that why of ourselves is not just for products and companies, it's for humans. I think that's the answer. If we can create space for people to show up and someone can, someone can look at me and say, you know, and own the fact that, yeah, white guy, like I'm frustrated and I can sit there and go, yeah, I get it. I get your experience has led to this and I represent that. And it doesn't mean anything about me. It's not about me. It's not, you know, unless I'm checking my, so, I mean, I guess just what my point is, can we just create spaces where people can show up and be real and honest? And I think a lot of these other things, if we can see and be seen and create space to show up and like let people's truth, like not mean anything about you, we can get, we can get somewhere. So I'm with you. I, and I, I try my best to live it. 
And do you see people and companies getting somewhere in the vantage point that you have? Are we getting somewhere? I think we are. I I mean, I'm a realist. You know, I don't, like, I've worked with colleagues or other people where they get very frustrated. They go into an organization and where they are. And I've always taken the approach of meet them where they are. I mean, as long as there's this energy of moving towards something better, like not everybody is culture amp who set up this company to be the most progressive culture company. Like sometimes there's a bank that comes to us that says we need to change. I don't walk in there judging them because they're, you know, I'm just excited about the fact that they want to move the needle. So I do, I have a, I have a ton of hope. I have a ton of faith. I do feel like I see a lot of great things. I also think the situation is going to speed track a lot of that. I think that things we've been talking about, future of work, which I think kind of now is like this term is gone. It's like the now of work. Like when this all, when the dust settles, we're going to come back looking at each other. I think there's going to be a major turning point. And I think that a lot of things we've been talking about, we've had the luxury of talking about, we're really going to have to put into practice how we think about our organizations, our structures. Um, so I have, a, I mean, I am an optimist, but I have a ton of uh, hope. I also think we are moving the needle and we also have the same challenges that we've always had. We're humans. We are fallible. We are under stress. We're trying to run businesses. We're trying to do the best that we think. And it doesn't mean we're always our best isn't always good enough. Um, can we just hold some space for one another? But I, I, I am. I think, I think 10 years ago, you saw little pockets of San Francisco and New York and these cool companies. I travel all over the country, all over the world. I'm just blown away. It's happening. There's movement. And we have, we have, we have a lot of, of, of ground to cover as well. So let's wrap with one more fact versus fiction question that's a perfect segue from what you just said. Since we have this roulette wheel concept that you introduced and we're in it, we are where we are, the fact versus fiction would be which? It's hard to live in a work-life integrated way in today's society right here, right now. Fact or fiction? fiction it's a story i don't know what is hard it is i you know I, it's it's fiction because it I, it wouldn't hold across 100 people so um it might be your truth i don't want to i don't want to diminish that but i just think let's can you leave space for we all have stories and our stories ultimately are just this, what we're creating to make sense and that, that in itself is fiction so it may be hard for you um i don't want to take away from that but i think that we can also i hope you find the the gift in it um i believe especially in challenging times there's there's a gift there's something we're supposed to be learning um and i think when we resist we sometimes miss that so my hope is wherever you are can you pause and ask yourself, this is hard, but what's what's the gift here? What should I be learning? What am I going to take away from this? And, and lean into that. So while I'm reacting to that, if there's a favorite quote that you would like to share, I'm going to give you a minute to think about that. I just want to tell a quick story. It might sound a little corny, but my great uncle's family was historically from Holocaust survivors. And my great uncle Herbie used to say to us as little kids that the past is the past. You can't get it back no matter what you do, how much money you have, what color you are, where you're from. And the future is not here yet. And again, there's nothing you can do. There is no magic wand to get the future to be realized right now. You can think about it, you can move toward it, but there's nothing in your power as a human race that you can do to get the future to happen right now. And that's why he said the present is a gift. And so even now in this time of crazy uncertainty and fear and doubt, and again, working inside of very constrained circumstances at home, there are is a gift. And Craig talked about time with his family in a dance party earlier. So if you haven't danced tonight with your family, Mm. I would challenge you to do it. It's little things. It's the one thing, and it's the small steps toward the bigger goal that makes 
the intersectionality actually possible. So with that, do you have a favorite quote you'd like to share? Yeah, I don't have a direct quote exactly, but I have something I've been saying lately. So my quote, um, and, and you know, like I, I like what you just shared. I think I do want to hold space. It's easy sometimes to say like the past is the past. And I agree that the, all we have is really the present. However, people that have been marginalized, people that have uh, been, you know, at, challenging like the past is, is is heavy and you know sometimes when we have to be careful who's who's saying it's easy for you know people of privilege to say that to somebody that maybe has been had a much different experience but i i do in general in general terms agree with that we have to embrace the present what's up for me right now is, is this idea that it's not as if like we're avoiding um uh, uh challenging times or you know it's it's it, or adversity adversity is going to happen one way or another we're doing it in mass now but people are dealing with adversity it's it's how do we show up in the face of adversity so i just you know i just think to myself are you showing up how you'd like to and if not what's getting what's getting in between you and showing up at your best um you know these are the times this is what we prepare for the good times so now we're in a moment of adversity and how, how do we show up in those times? Because that's the gift. And when we move forward, there'll be other adversity in your organizations, in your, in your life. Um, and always working to say, you know, I want to show up when times are hard, the same way I show up when, when, when times are not, uh, and, and striving for like those values. So that's, that's the big thing for me. It's not that if we're going to hit adversity, but how do you show up in the face of it? So that is a, an amazing way to wrap today's show. I want to thank Craig so much for all this fast track wisdom, actionable insight, practical ways for people to think through big picture items. None of this is very small. It's big. However, we can do and we must do small things to get there. And so Craig shared what's up for him now. I love that terminology. So what's up for all of you right now? Think about it for a couple of seconds. Every time you listen to this podcast, I try to challenge you to make that one incremental shift. What is your shift dynamic just for today, even in this moment? What's the one thing? And we'd love to hear about it. So thank you so much for joining us today, You're Craig. welcome. But thank you. I really appreciate this. Great to be here with you. And I hope I brought some value to your listeners. Settle Smarter is produced by New Dog Media in association with Phoenix Fifth, who are solely responsible for the content. Check the show notes for links to our website, settlesmarter.com. To find Dana Look Aramoto's latest book, take the quiz, read more about today's guest, and to contact us with your response to the show or any questions or comments. And don't forget to subscribe to the Settle Smarter podcast and share the episode. Settle Smarter was recorded and edited by Paul Godwin, who also composed our theme music. Settle Smarter can be heard at Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you hear your podcasts. On behalf of Dana Look, Arimoto, and the whole Settle Smarter team, this is Paul Godwin saying, see you next time.